imposing grandeur, the quality or state of being impressive or awesome. The purpose of studying theology and reading books, it's it's not to gain our own intellect, but rather it is to bring us to Him. Because when you see how glorious and how holy and how majestic our Creator is, the more you worship Him. He is our imposing grandeur. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 11 of Imposing Grandeur Radio. It's me, Avery, and I'm here with Annie and Alexa. What's up, guys? Hey, hey. <laughs> Annie, tell us about um, y'all's special announcement you made today. Oh, well, we, me and Patrick, that is, um, announced that we are adopting today. Yay! So, so excited. excited. Wow, we said so the awesome. same thing, Avery. <laughs> <laughs> We're just I know, so y'all are excited. Be ants. <laughs> just so no, excited. It's surreal. It's so cool. I'm so excited for you guys. Um, tell you. me what y'all are drinking in your mugs today. So today felt like fall, and I am in just the full fall mood right now. I got coffee with pumpkin spice almond milk creamer because I'm I don't have dairy almond milk creamer, but it Ooh. is so good. And then I do this like whipped cream but it isn't whipped cream it's like coconut milk cream and it's like mm. whipped and then i sprinkle okay, some, that sounds good oh my goodness it is so good and then i sprinkle good. sprinkle some cinnamon on there and then just like yeah. go outside sit by a fire enjoy the leaves <laughs> like <laughs> oh my god it's so good so that is what i am drinking right now i am just i am in fall mode right now that sounds amazing annie what are you drinking anything exciting um, I got this caramel tea today. Ooh. Well, cool. I'm just drinking water. I didn't have time to make anything oh. fancy. <laughs> um, okay, so today we are starting on our last omni, so to speak. Today we're going to be talking about God's omnipresence. And so I'd love to start out talking through what we usually do, which is start by defining the term. What does that mean? What does omnipresent mean? And what did y'all find this time? I want to make a quick notice before Annie comes out here with her Grudem <laughs> definition. And yes, I feel like I have to call you out every single episode. <laughs> but I had always had the copy of Grudem Systematic Theology, but I recently purchased the book on Logos, Grudem Systematic Theology. So now I have that book on Logos. And so now whenever I'm doing like research for different podcast episodes, I now have Grudem's chapters coming up with resources and i'm oh, like wow. oh i bet annie's gonna use this <laughs> and I'm like, can't wait to have all the same material <laughs> i know i was like going through the chapter and i was like i'll leave this for annie <laughs> so i do have grudem's definition but annie I'll, i also have like two other definitions so i'm gonna let you say grudem's <laughs> let me guess baker's encyclopedia <laughs> of the bible <laughs> It's so funny because I almost looked up both today and I was like, no, Alexa and Annie will do it. Annie, how did you know? What if what if it turns out this whole time I've been saying it's Grudem, but I've been making up the definitions? Annie is Grudem and we didn't even know it. 
Okay. Uh, well, Annie, tell us. Do you want me to say the definition? <laughs> please, <Yes>. please. <laughs> okay. So, um, you better say wait. it right. I'm just <laughs> Fact checking me over there. I know. Um. So. Grudem defines omnipresence as unlimited with respect to space, but then he delves more into it by saying God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. Which we will kind of break that down with some other questions that we have throughout the episode, but that is, in essence, what Grudem says. Mm. Yes, and to add to that, <laughs> Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible. <laughs> but <laughs> the Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible definition is um, aspect of God's infinity in which he transcends the limitations of space and is present in all, all places at all times. But the definition that I think I like the most, which is more layman's term definition that I think would probably resonate with a lot of people a lot more because it's a lot more simple is that there is no place where God isn't present. His presence is inescapable. And that's pretty simple. Like it's a pretty to the point, straight definition. Another term used for God's omnipresence is ubiquity, meaning equal awareness. And so like it biblically puts the idea of God's presence, but on steroids. So when we say that God's ubiquitous, we're saying that the fullness of his presence is located everywhere. Now note that this isn't polytheism. So meaning that Everything is God, like my table is God, the rock mm. is God, the tree is God, but it is his presence in everything. Like he is present everywhere and there is no geographical hindrance or specialty. So like we see this in the Old Testament when God says, you shall have no other gods before me when issuing the Ten Commandments. So knowing what we know about God and his ubiquity and omnipresence, he basically is saying that when a person worships anything apart from him, whether that person lives in Israel, Canaan, Philistia, or anywhere else in the world today, and worships something besides him, the true God, they're committing idolatry. Why? Because there is only one God, and this one God's presence is everywhere, and he is the one in which the entire world is to worship forevermore. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I guess I would just add in... Uh, highlight the point you made that God we're not polytheistic it's right very important to not to make the distinction between that God is not in everything God is not my coffee cup God yeah. is not Alexa God is not oh, I hope not or a tree <laughs> <laughs> doomed for failure <laughs> can't even take care of myself anyway. <laughs> right and so um but God is present in everything and then in Colossians 1 17 it says um for the wait where is it uh he is before all things and in him all things hold together so God goes before everything if that makes more sense this is a very ab it's not abstract but for our finite minds this concept for me personally was very hard to think about because you can't put it in spatial terms you can't and it's also important to note that when we say this, we're not saying God is just super big, that he's bigger than earth and can see everything, That he, but it, he is, his whole being is present everywhere. And that to me is just like, I get it, like the difference between what I'm saying, but it's very hard to conceptualize in my brain. 
Right. And I think something important to note, even before we delve even deeper, is that the goal is not to master any of these attributes that we're talking about. So the past couple Mm -hmm. episodes, we've had omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And to master these attributes is impossible. So these are imposing grander topics. So rather than focusing on mastering it, let's focus on making it our goal to just understand it better. So you listening to this, don't be overwhelmed if this is a topic that is super abstract. Just make it your goal to understand it better. Start there and then dive deeper from one degree to the next. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you grace and wisdom in comprehending these topics. Remember Psalm 139 that we discussed last week. Such knowledge is too wonderful me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We do not need human knowledge. We need help from God to learn about him and his nature. So just keeping that in your mind as we even continue to discuss omnipresent. Yeah, that was a really good point to make. And going back to Psalm 139.7, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So taking into account this verse, if God is present everywhere, does that mean he's also present in hell? What What do you guys think about that? So going back to Wayne Grudem's definition that we talked about in the beginning, uh, Grudem notes that um, God is present everywhere, but he acts differently in different places. Mm. And um, we can see that in hell because I always had the misconception growing up and I've said it to many people that God is not, that hell is the absence of God's presence. And that's why it's hell. But that's incorrect, actually, Um, because when God's presence is talked about in the Bible, it's often linked to blessing. It means that God is blessing his people or it says in Psalm 1611, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And so often we attribute blessing to God's presence. But in Amos, I believe, nine, let me see. Amos nine. One through four says, and this is God speaking about the destruction of those who are not saved. He says, I saw the Lord stand beside the altar and he said, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all people. And those who are left of them, I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven from there, I'll bring them down. They hide themselves on top of Carmel. From there, I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from the sight at my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I'll fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. And so essentially, that is a good picture of what God's wrath will look like upon those who are not in Christ. And that's God exhibiting his presence in a vengeful, wrath-filled manner. Um but God is still present and he's just acting differently than he would for those who are obviously in Christ. Yeah, that was a really good summary, Annie. And I was reading a Desiring God article on this and John Piper talks about how there's nowhere where you can hide from him or escape his anger or judgment. So his power, as we've talked about his power in a couple of weeks ago, is present in hell as he sustains um, our being and enforces judgment and maintains the suffering that is present in hell. And then John Piper also says, in hell, God is present in all the ways people do not want him to be. Mm-hmm. Hell is a horrible and fearful thing, which teaches us that our sin is a horrible and fearful thing. 
and God's holiness is a horrible and fearful thing is if opposed. And the cross of Christ, who endured hell for all his people for all time, is the most precious event in the history of the world. Yeah, I think for me studying this, I don't know, I feel like we have the tendency, maybe it isn't everyone, but I I find myself having this tendency and thinking that hell is Satan's kingdom in which he will rule forever. Um, But Mm -hmm. hell was not created by Satan for Satan to enjoy making people miserable for eternity. Um, In Matthew 25, 41, it says, Mm -hmm. then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so Satan and the demons future in hell is not for their enjoyment and torturing people, but rather the eternal fire of hell was prepared for the devil and his angels and all whom they deceive in this lifetime for their all collective torment. And so like you guys were both saying, the problem with hell is that God isn't, it's it's not that God isn't there. It's the fact that he is there and he is issuing judgment on people who deserve it because they have rejected him and that their due punishment is eternity in hell. Yeah, that's such a good point, Alexa. And too, I don't think we can even fully fathom how terrible hell is going to be. I mean, we understand mm-hmm. suffering from a worldly perspective because we know pain and suffering from living here. But right now we're living in a time where God has stayed his hand. He's kept his judgment from fully unleashing on those that are not following him. So hell is mm-hmm. something that we can read about and be like, you know, scared when we're reading about it, but we do not fully understand what that will be like. And yeah. um, that is like in and of itself terrifying to me to be like, wow. I mean, we experience common grace as we talked about back during our God is gracious week. Um God's common grace is not going to be present in any way in hell. There's going to be there's going to be eternal suffering beyond what we can fathom, and that's forever. And our life here, when we're suffering here, is just a vapor. So to imagine suffering that extends beyond time, that's just like mind-blowing and, and not something that you should push aside or push under a rug because it's like, oh, I'll think about that later, you know, if you're not a follower of Christ. Um, so we urge you not to terrify you or to be like turn or burn, you know, and to make you, you know, feel like that's the only reason you should be a Christian. But we want you to really understand what this means. Right. And I think it's important to note that this punishment is not cruel and unusual. Like this is a holy and just God, like we had talked about in previous episodes. And he is like you alluded to, Avery, right now extending so much grace to us even now by not just I mean Adam and Eve when they first sinned like he could have just sent them to hell for eternity you know but he is such a gracious God who is just abounding in steadfast love and slow to anger and I know it might sound like we're making contradicting statements by talking about a God who is issuing judgment in hell and then a God who is slow to anger but he is. It's not either or, it's both and. Right now, he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And everyone in hell is there, not because they're innocent. They're in hell because they have rejected this gracious and merciful God who has extended them way more time than we ever have deserved to repent and come to him. Yes. And if you want to learn more about God's grace after listening to this, please go back and you can find a couple more podcasts where all of these relate because God is so intricate, but there's other ones where we can go into more detail of God's graciousness towards us. Um, 
so going to Proverbs 15:29, we see that um, it says the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So considering that God is present everywhere, what does this mean for the wicked to not be heard in their prayers, but the righteous to be heard? So again, going back to what do we mean by presence or present? Um, and Wayne Grudem explains this passage by saying not present to bless. Um, because that was something that I was curious about because I was reading in Genesis. I forget which chapter. I think it was two or no, it was probably four or five. Um, where Cain kills Abel and then he talks to God and it says, and then Cain left the presence of the Lord. And I was like, well, that's weird. Does that mean like he's not like God doesn't see him? He doesn't. Does that mean he was physically like talking to God, like in his physical presence? But I was like, that doesn't make sense because you think about how Moses couldn't even look upon the face of God and Moses was righteous. And so I was like, I was very confused. And the more I looked into it, um, this understanding of it that the presence implies blessing. And so it's not that God does not see the wicked or hear the wicked or know the hearts of the wicked. It's that he's not blessing the wicked and he's turning, quote unquote, turning from them in their wickedness and saying, I'm not going to bless you. And in that. Um, so that was my understanding of that whole thing. I also found that um, just remembering that the wicked are those that are in sin and that are continuing to sin very well aware of their sin and simply not caring. They're ignoring the warnings of God and they know truth. They think that they can just hide behind their hypocrisy. They think they can get away with their sin. And also remembering that prayer is a privilege and God isn't obligated to hear or answer the prayer of any man, but he is gracious enough to hear us as his children. And so you know, if he wants to reject the prayers of the wicked, those that are living in hypocrisy, you know, that's kind of up to him to, you know, decide on, you know, how he answers. And we're not going to always know why he like, you know, chooses to answer someone and doesn't. But I can totally see how if we're in living in unrepentant sin and we're aware of the sin we're walking in as believers, our prayer life is not going to be very deep. Our communion with him is not going to be very deep when that sin is coming in the way with our fellowshipping with him. Also remembering that He's not far away in location or knowledge of the wicked, but he is far from helping, comforting, blessing, and having fellowship with them. He's near to see their wickedness, but far from answering their prayers. And that's terrifying to me. So mm. I think that was convicting to me to be like, okay, am I currently, um, as a believer, constantly examining my heart and making sure that I'm not walking in sin that is repetitive, that I know is wrong, and I'm not coming to the Lord asking for forgiveness. Um, am I being convicted? And I, am I praying for the Lord to give me, you know, conviction by the Holy Spirit to know when I am sinning, when I should repent? And when I am being convicted, am I walking in repentance? Um, and there's really no excuse for not because we know God is gracious to forgive us when we ask. And so, um, I think that was just a reminder to me in my own prayer life of trying to be more humble in the way that I ask the Lord to convict me of things that I'm struggling with and making sure that I'm living a life where I'm asking for repentance on the daily. Mm. Um, 
So kind of moving into what does God's omnipresence mean for us as Christians? We've talked about what it means for those that are unbelievers, but what does it mean and how does it affect our life um, if we know God is everywhere? Um, So I have a quote from Henry Bavink. I think that's how you pronounce it in the doctrines of God. And he says, um, when you wish to do something evil, you retire from the public into your house where no enemy may see from those places of your house, which are open and visible to the eyes of men. You remove yourself into your room. Even in your room, you fear some witness from another quarter. You retire into your heart. There you meditate. He is more inward than your heart. He being God. Wherever, therefore, you shall flee, there he is. From yourself, whither will you flee? Will you not follow yourself wherever you shall flee? But since there is one more inward than yourself, there's no place where you can flee from God, angry but to God reconciled. There's no place at all whither you may flee. Will you flee from him? Flee unto him. And so that just was profound quote to me saying like, you can't run from God. Like God is everywhere. And those evil thoughts that you're meditating on or sinful desires that you meditate on, God is there. God sees that. And to remember that God sees that and to turn from it unto Christ and remember Christ died for those sins and those evil thoughts and evil desires and to rest in Christ's sustaining power to redeem you from those things. And additionally, um, Grudem says, while the thought that God is everywhere present with his whole being ought to encourage us greatly in prayer, no matter where we are, the fact that no one place can be said to contain God should also discourage us from thinking that there's a special place of worship that gives people special access to God. He cannot be contained in any one place. Mm -hmm. And God's omnipresence should be such a comfort to the believer because to the persecuted Christian that is locked in jail with no Bible, they have access to God Mm -hmm. in because of his ever presence. And then if you're lying in bed and you can't sleep, you have access to God. Like he is there with you pray. And, or if you're um, enjoying a nice car ride during beautiful weather, God is there. And like you can pray. And so it should encourage us greatly as believers to know that God is ever accessible, but also discourage us as believers to not sin because God is there and he sees that. And um, Christ died for those sins and remembering that God is there seeing and all knowing and ever present. Um, If you have the Holy Spirit, that should deter you greatly from pursuing sinful action. Yeah, that was a good point. And I want to kind of expound more on what you were saying in reference to there's no holy place. Like there's not one place in which God is contained in. And I thought of the different religions in the world and how God already differentiates from all of these other religions. And for example, I thought of um, like for Muslims, Mecca is the holiest place for Islam because that's where they're found the founder of the religion Uh, Muhammad was born. And so they face Mecca whenever they do their daily prayer and devout Muslims even do pilgrimages to Mecca at least once in their lifetime. And I thought this was interesting. Only Muslims are allowed in Mecca. But for us, there's no special place of worship that gives people more special access to God. He cannot be contained in one place. And because of Jesus's daily intercession in our lives, we're able to have a constant communion with God. There's 
this direct communion. And this God is not just revealed to believers, but he gives general revelation to his, of his existence to all peoples. I mean, Romans one, he wants people to know him and it's profound when contrasted against these false gods. And in the new covenant, there is no one place on earth that God has chosen as his particular dwelling place. We can worship him anywhere. Um, that's what it says in John four twenty, and the Holy spirit itself even dwells inside of us. But, um, also going off of what you're saying, Annie, about the, the martyrs, the people across the world, people that are being persecuted for their faith. Because God is omnipresent, he's able to give his entire attention to millions of individuals at the same time. And that is something that I just think I'm never going to be able to comprehend because I'm just not that (laughs) at all. Um, But I mean, if you are listening to this and you ever want an overwhelming thought, go on an airplane and look at the people below until you are so far above them that they look like ants. And then watch the houses get smaller and the trees and the plantations, the oceans and even the mountains, depending on where you're flying over people become so insignificant the higher you get. And yet the God of the universe is so intently involved in each and every one of those tiny ant-like people. More than that, we are made in his image. I mean, talk about an overwhelming concept. So the last time I was on a plane, I had that thought and I was just overwhelmed. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't even see the people, let alone begin to imagine what they're going through in their daily lives, what they're struggling with, what makes them happy, what is on their mind right now, what will be on their mind five days from now or even 10 years from now. And yet that is all knowledge that God has access to. I mean, talk about an intimate and personal relationship. Yeah, I love that. Alexa is such a good visual. Um, And it made me think about here I am with my impromptu questions for you guys again. Um, (laughs) But I think that God's omnipresence can really encourage the lonely Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking to the martyrs in other countries, but also people that, you know, live here that maybe live alone or they live with people that they may maybe don't feel close to, or you just live in a season where you just feel really lonely. There's so much encouragement to the believer to know that we're never truly alone. Um, and so speaking of like emotions, as far as how this of God's presence affects our emotions, I think it's easy to have, I, at least I've experienced this, people that are like, I really felt the Lord's presence tonight in our service where I felt his presence tonight with me. And like, yes, God, of course, you can feel God's presence very real to you in certain moments. And there's times in my own life that I've been like, wow, that was totally the Lord. Or I really just felt the Lord prompting me to do this, or he really guided this person to say this to me or whatever the case is. But What do you guys do and how do you respond when you're in a time or season of life where you don't feel God's presence? You know the truth that he's there, but you maybe emotionally don't feel like he is present in your life. For me, it's important to take a step back and ask myself, are my emotions lining up with what I know to be true in scripture or are they causing me to walk away from scripture? And that can be really hard. It's easier said than done. Um, but knowing that just because you don't feel God's presence, or maybe you're not experiencing blessings in the traditional sense that we think of them, like uh, uh, material well-being or health of your children or of you and then your family, stuff like that. Um, 
that trials are still a blessing from God. And it's often through those seasons of loneliness or other various trials that we feel we don't, we're not experiencing the presence of God. But to remind ourselves that scripture talks about trials in a uh, manner that is a blessing to the Christian. And that that is still God's presence there. He is still blessing you. And also remembering in Hebrews, I think it's 1-3, he talks about how Christ upholds all things in heaven and earth. And then Colossians 1-17, that Christ, all things are in Christ, that he holds them all together. And remembering um, God's presence isn't simply blessing us, but it's also sustaining us. And that through those seasons of loneliness, that if you are faithful and obedient, Christ is there sustaining you, whether you feel that or not. Mm. And we can rest in the truth of scripture, knowing that God is faithful to his promises. And that is a promise of the Lord. Mm. Um, And it's difficult. It's a lot, again, easier said than done, but it is accomplished through the simple acts of obedience and reading the word, preaching it to yourself day in and day out, day in and day out. And then, um, being in fellowship with other believers that they can remind you and speak that truth into your life and being vulnerable enough to say, Hey, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. I really feel far from the Lord. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I'm really struggling. Um, so that would be my answer. But again, like if that's you, I know that seasons of life like that are really difficult and challenging. Um, reach out to us or reach out to somebody you trust that can disciple you or speak truth into your life. Yeah, all of those were really good points. Um, The only thing that I would say, like, that I've known myself to do, I mean, I just think about what we keep um, referring to throughout this entire season. I mean, our feelings and our circumstances do not equate or negate from God's faithfulness. And that reminder, I mean, maybe it's going back and reviewing what God's faithfulness means and what that has to do with our life. How does that influence our life? But knowing that, no matter what we feel, no matter circumstance we're in, God is still faithful. God is still good. For me personally, I have to get to a point to where I separate my emotions and focus on that. And that's hard. It's it's so much easier said than done, whether it means studying your Bible until you finally get it. If that's four hours into reading the New Testament or the Old Testament, or um, just until the Lord brings a verse to your attention. I mean, studying him in general. I mean, it doesn't matter what you feel. I think a natural response of us, and it's not the correct response, but this is a natural response. Whenever we feel like God is far away and we get lonely, we take that to mean, okay, well, now I need to search for this affection in other means. And so we drift to other things, whether it's entertainment or people, and we lose sight of spending quality time with God because he, we don't feel him in our lives. So therefore we're not going to even attempt to pursue him because we don't feel it. And that is such an incorrect response. When we are feeling that way, we must pursue him all the more. Break out your Bible, stay up till four in the morning reading until you fall asleep, like fight for it. Do not be passive in your relationship. And I mean, even studying this, um, God's omnipresent, this attribute has felt like an overwhelming comfort to me. I mean, even studying this, I felt like I was just smushed in his presence, you know, like a big warm hug. And it's a reminder that he is always with us, even if we cannot feel it. 
Um, And also, we must be continually analyzing ourselves if he does seem far from us, that we're not living in sin. He could be be disciplining us out of love so that we would recognize, repent, and return to him. I mean, I feel like a Baptist preacher doing the three R's, but I mean, that's easy (laughs) to remember. Recognize, repent, and return to him. But um, just focus on what you know. Our heart and our feelings are so, so, so fickle and deceiving that it is within those moments of emotional fog that we need to focus our eyes on God all the more. And so that's what I would just stress to any brother or sister listening. That was really good encouragement. I love that. Um, Well, thank you guys so much for your comments on this. This was encouraging for me to listen to and be a part of this conversation. Do y'all have anything else you'd like to add about God's omnipresence or any like song recommendations or things you thought about when we were researching this? There's a Shylin song about all of the <laughs> omnis. It's really? not really my type of music, but if you're into that kind of stuff, it's, I mean, it's literally called the omnis, okay. Shylin. That's a good one you to like that stuff. Omni, our third week of omnis. Annie, you oh, should yeah. wrap it for us. <laughs> I've actually never listened to it fully through because I don't really like it, but <laughs> some of y'all might, so... <laughs> Well, he's a he's a good recommendation for people that like that type of music. So we can we can link it right. on our blog. Okay, well, um, now it's time for our IG hot seat. Honestly, did not even Ooh. remember about IG hot seat till I literally just looked at what my next prompt was. So oh, this is gonna oh. be <laughs> completely out of the hat, random for you guys. Okay. For All right. This is the first thing I thought of. If you could go back and guide your mom in the hospital when signing your birth certificate what would your name be instead of the current name you have did you say charles (laughs) charles spurgeon (laughs) you're a woman (laughs) no i know i'm kidding that was like charlita (laughs) i don't know i got it i mean i don't know i like my name but also the amazon jokes are getting kind of old so (laughs) you know it's funny, I was just telling my grandma how hard it is to, like, separate somebody from their name once yeah. they've had it. So I feel like those questions are hard. Yeah. Well, just, you gotta, you gotta think, like, this would be a name you would have always had. So it could be, like, I don't know, when I was a kid, sometimes... It's just a name you like. Yeah, sometimes when I'd be in, like, my class, I'd be like, oh, I really like that girl's name. Like, I wish I had a name like that. Avery, you've always been into names. Like, when you're like, I just figured out this question from the top of my head. I'm like, it's going to be about a baby name. Like, either (laughs) what would you name your kids? And then you're like, if you could change your own name. And I'm like, I can't believe I totally called it. Because I'm like, what's on the... What can I think of really quickly that's not your favorite color? (laughs) It's so funny. Well, when I was little, I... I really wanted my mom to call me Sarah. Like I wanted everyone to call me Sarah. I don't know why. I just really like that name, but I also really wanted brown eyes. So <laughs> I was just, I was just an interesting kid. But I mean, I feel like you all kind of go through that stage of like, oh, I don't like my name. I want to be called this, or I don't like my eyes. I like these eyes. You know. I think my name. I go through stages of names that I like, and then I end up not liking them a few months into liking them. But right now, I really like the name Greer. I think it's a cool name Aww. for a girl. Yeah, I think it's I different. Like Wait, Greer? Greer? Yeah, G-R-E-E-R. Greer. <laughs> G-R-E-E-R. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I don't know Hipster. what it's called, but I'm going to look it up. I don't know what. I'm looking at my baby names. Note tabs. <laughs> 
only have boy names because I, I want boys. So I don't have any girl name ideas. <laughs> well, if you have all girls, then, then you're just like. That's what I was just thinking. I want to all adopt a boy. I have to make all of them like girl variations. Yeah. Yeah. Gideon turns into Gideona. (laughs) Gadina. Gadina. I really like classic Russian names Mm. like Like Anastasia. Anastasia. My name is actually Hispanic. But your middle name's Russian. Oh, my Manya. Yeah, I've always loved that yeah. name too. Manya. I probably wouldn't name my myself Manya, but I do like. <gasps> you should, Annie. <laughs> Just kidding. I really like her. Katarina. Oh Ooh. yeah, me and Annie are watching Blackbeard. <laughs> Katarina oh, watching a show. So <laughs> Um, so I really, I just love Russian culture. So mm-hmm. I like those kind of like classic names. I think they're just magical. Okay, I know my name. Oh, yeah, Toss. I think I'd want to be named Ruth, and then I'll just, like, look up all Boazes on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's funny, though. That would be so funny. (laughs) Or I could be named Sarah and then look for Abraham. That would be so cute. Okay, actually, Abe. Actually, y'all, so sweet. I know somebody named Abraham, and he married a girl named Sarah, and they just had a kid, but they didn't name him Isaac. They named oh, him. Come on. I know it was such a great like opportunity wasted, but they named him yeah, something really? else. But isn't that so sweet? Like Abraham found his Sarah. Oh, that's, that's really so cute. Sweet. I like the I name know. Abe. Like calling a guy Abe when his name yeah. is Abraham. I think that's a cool name. Yeah. All right, so we got a Katarina, a Ruth, and a Greer. Yes, we sound like a boho band. Like, <laughs> I'm just trying to picture that name with my old maiden name, Katarina Roach. That sounds horrible. <laughs> I'll stick with Annie. <laughs> yeah, I think I like our current name. So, well, thanks for hanging in there for my last minute IG hot seat question. It's all good. It was fun. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. Join us next week as we go over God being jealous Ooh. what does that mean i don't know how is god jealous i don't know like Join us. <laughs> we'll find out next week thank you guys and have a great week bye <laughs>